I missed you last week and um, had a chance to go to where I grew up and where my dad grew up, and it was just above and beyond all my expectations. Got to spread his ashes and my mom's ashes, and there was so much closure, so much healing. I didn't know how bad I needed that, and uh, so good for my soul, um, just being back in those just hollow places, that sacred ground of my past. And um, what a year it's been for me. I think sometimes I'm doing well, and then all of a sudden I'm not doing well, and it just shows I haven't maybe gone to all the places I need to go to um, actually feel the weight of what's taking place. And man, it happened this last week. And I want to thank you for all those that were praying for me and our family. It was a great time. It gave me an opportunity to grow my mustache apart from you guys to see whether I wanted it. And I just want to get that out of the way because it seems to stand between me and you. And um, there's just this presence that I'm fully aware of that is a veil between me and you. So hopefully we can get over that. You know, Corbin was up here rocking it tonight on the electric. And, and so, uh, yeah, there's that. And then John is home. I don't know, John, is he in the room or he's probably out, out See here? John, can you stand up with Amy? And uh, yeah, can we just welcome you here tonight? Welcome back, buddy. I missed you so much. Um, and time went by so fast, but I hope it went by so slow for you guys. And I know you went through all kinds of ups and downs, which is what a sabbatical is. You get to experience the high highs and low lows because nothing can distract you away from yourself. I don't know how you do spending time all by yourself, but um, it's a weird thing to do. And uh, nothing else to busy you or pull you away or deflect away from you looking at your own soul in the eye and saying, how are you doing? And some of you haven't done that for decades. And uh, it's a scary thing to be all alone by yourself with your own thoughts. But it's beautiful because the Spirit of God draws in close and communes with your human spirit to let you know you're a child of God. And no matter what roles you have here at the church or in life, how successful or how much a failure you think you are, he doesn't love you anymore because of the great things you do or any less because of the awful things that you do. And he reminds you, and I hope he did this for you, that you are a beloved son, favored son of the most high God. Amen. And we love you no matter how great you are at what you do. It just comes naturally for you, but we love you for you. Amen. And that's not going to change. It hasn't been that way. It won't be that way. It'll never be that way where you have to perform your way into our good graces and our approval of you. You can work from approval, not for approval anymore from us or for God. But I love you, buddy, and I'm glad you're back. He was back in the office this week. It was a different office. Uh, his presence is um, extraordinary. He's, he's one of a kind. I love him with my whole heart. <clears throat> I debated how to start this message. I'm speaking on Psalm 139. It's one of my favorite psalms in the Bible. I think Psalm 23 is probably the one that's the most known. This one here is just so packed with a picture of God a moment that David had with God where I just think God uniquely inspired him to write a really an inside um, picture of 
God's heart for humanity. A lot of times we can be in a kind of a theological position where it's all to the glory of God and it's all about God and he really is here for his own glory. He saved us for his own glory. He leads us to himself for his own glory with his strength and there's all this glory of God and sometimes I, want, I think God wants you to know I actually love you and I think I, I created, I know I created you with a value made in my image and I want you to know how much you're worth and how much you mean to me and how much I love you and how for you I am. I need that. I was debating as to whether to share a story that happened a couple weeks ago. I uh, hadn't been sleeping well for, and I still am struggling with it, honestly. It's kind of gone up and down. Anybody struggle with sleep in here? Um, yeah. Maybe not insomnia, but man, sometimes it's hard to get to sleep, and then it's hard to stay asleep, and I'm one of those guys that's 48 now. I turned 48 this week, and I'm getting up to go to the bathroom. <laughs> What's up with that? Um, and then I have a hard time getting back to sleep, and well, there was this one night I didn't even get to sleep, but I was laying in bed, and Heidi came in, and she falls asleep so fast, and I hate her for it. Um, <laughs> bump your spouse if they're the one that does that. She fell asleep, and I laid there, and my thoughts were racing. And as I was there, I felt my arms just kind of start to pull into my side. And over the course of the next minutes, there was this this presence that wrapped around me like a papoose, like a straitjacket, and I couldn't move. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder if I took too many Tylenol or too much melatonin or something like that. So I'm just kind of sitting there like, eh, rigamortis is setting in. It's probably my time to die. Um, and so I'm there at first just trying to, like, justify it away. You know, initially you're just like, might have been a hard day. What did I do today? Are my muscles tight? I am 48, you know, all these things. Well, it pulled in, and then I'm like, this is strange, and it wraps so tightly around me that it started to constrict like a boa constrictor. And then I was like, I need to actually turn and talk to my wife and, and wake her up and let her know something's gone. And then I couldn't actually open my mouth. Like it was sewn shut. And I was like, mm. And I couldn't make like loud sounds. And I felt trapped like claustrophobic, suffocating in that place. And I, I knew I was awake because I was listening to our fans. We actually have two fans in our room now. Um, we've graduated to two fans <laughs> at this point. And, and then I was looking up at the fire extinguisher that has this green, or not fire extinguisher, but fire alarm that was just green. And I kept looking at it and, and just like, I am here, I am here. I see everything in this room. Something else is in this room with me. I can only count to two other times. One time in Bell Fountain, this happened above the chiropractic office where uh, Jim Tassel practiced, and I remember a moment there where my feet levitated in the air, and this red, you know, sort of scroll went by the room, and I was, like, freaked out. And I remember one other time where I was in my living room in 2011 in my old house where my face was, like, pulled over this way, and somebody was at the entryway, and I just couldn't move. Well, this is one of those moments. And then the worst thing happened to me that I've ever, you know, had happened to me at night is I 
felt things biting into my flesh and ripping out my flesh. And I couldn't move, I couldn't talk, I couldn't make a sound, and I just sat there, and it just kept happening at my back and my neck and my side, and it went on for what felt like half an hour to an hour. And I knew in that moment when I couldn't ask for any help that the only one that could be of help to me was God. And I turned to him and I began just kind of saying, God, you're with me. Please help me. Please protect me. I don't know what I'm up against. I don't know why this presence is here. I don't know what kind of demonic activity is happening or psychotic activity is happening, but I need you to come to my aid. I need you to come to my rescue. I'm being eaten alive. And all at once it started to release. I rolled out of bed. I went to the bathroom and I washed my face. I woke up the next morning. I told Heidi. I told the girls. I told Ryan. I told some people on staff. I mean, and I know when people share those stories, you're like, was it really true or were you in a dream? And it just did not feel like a dream to me at all. It felt like I was wide awake while I was getting eaten by piranha. And it's been a couple weeks where I've had some of the best experiences of my life, but nights I'm really scared. And I'll be honest with you, I've never been scared of death in my life, and I am scared of death. Can't stop thinking about my kids passing away, my wife passing away, people I love passing away. I, I'm kind of weirded out by death now. Maybe I was just so close to it, got a front row seat. And it was in this moment with this experience that I just can sense Satan is trying to scare me to death. Is he doing that for anybody here? You look at the world, get scared to death, get filled with fear, freak out, pandemonium, panic. And I just have been with the Lord the last couple weeks in quiet places all by myself, saying, God, I need your closeness and nearness like never before. I want to feel your, your just imminent presence with me in a way that calms me and whispers peace be still to my life. And God's been just so tender with me. This psalm that we're looking at is such an intimate psalm, such a poetic psalm such a sort of opus, I think, of David where he was just at the right place at the right time, inspired by God, feeling inspiration himself, and he just uttered these word pictures and this, this sort of pull back the curtain and see the heart of God like, like no other psalm in the Bible. I want to read through this, and then I want to read through it the way we read through it with our prayer team a couple weeks ago where everybody on the prayer team took a chunk of this and they prayed it for themselves, they prayed it for our leadership, they prayed it for you, and they prayed it for our community. And I think there's some people here that need this tonight. Psalm 139, written by David. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. Where can I go from your spirit? And where, where could I even flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there, which makes a whole lot of sense. But if I even make my bed in the depths or in hell, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, even if I settle in the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, well, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together, knit together in the depths of of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts about me, God? How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. Listen to this turn, sharp turn to the right. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Take a couple deep breaths. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. To me, this is uh, what's called the theology of God's imminence. His transcendence is the otherness of God. It's just, he's unfathomable. His ways beyond tracing out. His thoughts are beyond your thoughts. His ways beyond your ways. This is the imminence of God, which actually is the opposite of what is called the impassibility of God, which means he doesn't feel the emotions of the ups and downs with everyone else. I don't know what Bible you're reading to actually believe that, but he gets pretty emotional in the Bible. Jesus does. God really does. In fact, I, I can't remember if it was Philip Yancey said, if you read the Old Testament, it, it actually sounds like when God's talking to his people, like it's a lover's quarrel you know, that you're hearing sort of between a thin wall in a hotel room. But, but the definition of imminence is he dwells with and in. He's fully present. He's nearby and he's accessible. It was written a book, I think around 10 years ago by Donald Miller. He wrote a book called Scary Close. This is a God who's scary close to you. And when I say scary close, so close you don't even want him to be that close on some days. And some days so close um, that you can, you can not only feel it, but just the essence of his presence is almost toxic to you.
and intoxicating. Starts out, and I just want to give a phrase that we prayed through and the verse that substantiates that God knows and feels the things you've been, that have been filling your mind lately, things that you haven't told anyone. Sometimes I'll, I'll be with someone, and instead of asking them how they're doing, I'll just be like, what have you been thinking about lately? Most people have no idea how to answer that question. But give them time. Say, no, for real, I'm, I'm here. I want to know what's been going through your mind lately. Like, what have you been thinking about just as you're driving different places? What's been filling your mind? What's been going through your brain? And most of us, like, we have a sort of a prevailing theme, a dominant theme, an intrusive thought that has been on, like, repeat like a broken record in our head. And I want you to know, even if no one else knows what that is, God can perceive your thoughts from afar. He knows, he searches, and he knows that intimate place where your brain, your crowded brain, he's gracious with your crowded thoughts. And really, God, more than you are, he is kind with your mind. Even if you're struggling with mental illness in this place, he wants to join you in the battle inside the pain in your brain. Things that you haven't told anyone, he can handle that. He knows that. He still loves you. He wants to work through that with you. He wants to join you in it. Whether you're scattered-brained, which represents a lot of people in this place, or have a racing mind, he's right there with you. It goes on, it says, God knows exactly where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. None of that scares him off. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways, past, present, and future. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You know where I'm going. All of us get trapped in, I think, one of these places. We're either sort of trapped in the past or preoccupied in the present or absolutely scared to death of the future. And those things, the Lord joins you and where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. And it doesn't scare him off. In fact, he wants to use all of that as material to construct like your life and your legacy if you'll let him. The bad stuff and the good stuff. And it takes a great God to use great people. It takes an amazing, awesome God to use bad people and bad stories. I heard somebody say this week, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. I love that. The people you think don't have a past, we all got a past in this room. And those of you that are like, I have no future based on what I've done, you have a future. Because you have a God who knows past, present, and future. And he wants to use all the material of your life the stuff that you'd like to discard and bury underground. He's like, please don't do that. I need that. It was by my wounds you were healed. By my stripes you were healed. I want to use your wounds to heal other people. Goes on. God, he's got you even when it feels like life is spinning out of control. His hand of reassurance is on you. You hem me in behind him before you lay 
your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. I love that. You hem me in behind and before, which is to say you interpret, you know, sort of like encircle me. You're behind me. You're beside me. You're before me. You're, you're all around me, God. And your hand is on me. Have you ever had anybody put their hand on you when you're just feeling something? Like, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. No, I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying. I'm right here. It's reassuring. I uh, was thinking of hemming people in. We went to this Dude Perfect concert um, or glorified VBS. I don't know what you want to call it, but the arena was filled with all these kids with Dude Perfect, which if you don't know who they are, you need to look it up. They're these great Christian guys that just do these crazy tricks and your kids will love it. <clears throat> and you'll kind of love it. Um, and so we went to this thing. It was with Will, um, who's leading worship here today. And uh, the kids were loving it, just mesmerized, stupefied, bewitched by the whole experience. It was crazy. And afterward, everybody was trying to get out of Van Andel Arena. Have you ever tried to get out of Van Andel Arena? And it was just people all over the place. And I think we had five or six boys that we were responsible for their futures and <laughs> bringing them home safely to their families. And you think differently when you got to hem somebody in in the midst of a crowd where if they get lost, I'm like, they're gone in a sea of faces. And so I'm kind of cutting before them and going around, and I'm grabbing hands and wrapping around and cutting through and looking back at Will. He's got the caboose. I got the engine. And, and we're getting these kids through a crowd of people. Hey, come, come, come over here. Come over here. I just felt like a mother hen brooding, <laughs> brooding over these boys trying to protect them under the shadow of my wing. And you're just looking. One, two, three, four, five, six. Still got them all. One, two, three. Where's the fifth? And he's hiding behind merch or something like that. It's crazy. God's like, I got you. I got you hemmed in. Hey, hey. Whoa, whoa, hey. Cutting head hey, right through here, guys. Right through here. This is God. He's got his hand on you. I'll walk with you. Come on. Come on. We can navigate this. Just stay close to me. Reassurance. About this one, God is close to you even when you feel distant from him. Isn't that awesome? He will keep chasing you down and he will not let you go. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side, remember far side with Gary Larson at the comic way back? He's even in the far side comic part of your life. Even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Guide and hold you. You're coming with me. You're with me. I got you. And it's crazy out there. But I got you. And even when you feel like I couldn't be further away, some ethereal presence, some distant God, I'm not a distant deity. I'm a constant reality. And even when you don't feel close to me, I am close to you. 
I was thinking about this. Or the times where you don't feel close to him and you don't see him. It says in Psalm 77, 19, your path, Lord, led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. I wish I could always show you your foot, the footprints of God where he was carrying you and he was walking with you through the fires and through the waters, but sometimes you don't see his footprints, but it doesn't mean he wasn't there. How about this? God isn't afraid of the dark. No matter how dark this world or your world gets, he is still alive and well even there. Surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, just totally enveloped by it. But even the darkness will be not, not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I, I can feel a fear and an anger and a sadness in this world. I have to wake up in the morning and by faith say, God, I, I'm heading into a world that really disappoints me. Yeah. Th- this world just confuses me. It's like confusion, delusion, and illusion everywhere I go. And that darkness that I feel oppressing us in this world can affect me just like you. And I know I'm trying to be up here happy, helpful, and hopeful, but I don't feel it all the time. Feel like we're just like a locomotive that's gone off the rails, a runaway stagecoach. And some days I'm like, God, do you do you join us in the darkness? And he's like, Oh yeah, dark's like light to me. I can see in the dark. I'm not afraid of the dark. Just stay close to me. Are you afraid of my dark though? Like if you knew how dark it was in here, he's like, I do know how dark. It is in there. And I love to join you in the dark. Because one of the things he did is one of the first things in the Bible. He comes into the dark, formless, and void, it says in Genesis 1. And he says, let there be light. Not only is he not afraid of it, he's like, I do my best work in the dark. That's where the light shines. Let me into the dark places. Goes on, God formed you in your mother's womb and made you exactly who you are. He formed you, forged you. He likes you for you as you do you. This one's a hard one for a lot of people. He made you to be just the way you are, and He likes for you as you do you. He knit you together. That way, not like them, not like her, not like him, but you. And he loves exactly who you are. I think there's so many people that just don't like who they are. And it's just amazing here. He, he knit you together in the womb. I know we've been talking a lot with Roe v. Wade and what God thinks about, you know, this little you know, being inside of a person. That's a person. He knit them together there. He has a plan for their life while they're in the womb and he's making something and he really likes what he's making in there. And he's got a plan for that person. I believe life starts at conception. I don't know any other way to look at it. It seems throughout the scripture, even when we read through this, you saw my unformed body. 
when I was made. It's like you're not even formed yet, and you're seeing this unformed body, and you have all these dreams. Why would you dash the dreams of God by taking what's unformed and being knit together and to actually take that life? And do I feel deep compassion for women that are in possible predicaments and filled with all kinds of anxiety over the future and, and, and things that I don't relate to? Yes, but I believe God's like, please know that what you have inside you is a precious gift and has sanctity and dignity to me. I'm, I'm knitting something together. Don't rip it apart while I'm nipping, knitting it together. Fearfully and wonderfully made, carefully and beautifully made, that's you. It goes on and kind of piggybacks on that. He said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Even if our eyes don't see that body, does not make it a non-living being. Because his eyes see that unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God ordained things for you to be and do from conception. And he's writing a book about you because your story matters. Believe like your story is being written in his book. I don't think this is the Lamb's book of life. This appears to be other volumes in the Chronicles of Jason and the Chronicles of Marcus and and the chronicles of each person here, like I'm writing a story and co-authoring a story as you write the story, and I've given you agency to create and write your story, and we're co-authoring this thing and co-laboring together, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's do this together. We're writing a pretty epic story together. A biography of your life being written. And that just hits me again. Your eyes are just my unformed body. You're weaving it together inside of maybe even some moms here today. And God has a plan and he's begun writing a book about that person. That, that person's not a surprise. They're not an accident. They're not an oops. Some of us have had oops kids. There's not any oops kids for God. Even in town, we support the Alpha Women's Center, the Crisis Pregnancy Center, for just moms that don't know what to do and can't see their way forward. And we support that with money and with people and volunteers. We're not careless about the struggle and the decisions being made. Even though you can't see them, God can see them. And it's like, okay, I believe there's a plan for this child, but I need help, and we need to help the ones that need help in that helpless and hopeless and impossible situation where they can't see 10 feet in front of their face. We gotta join them. You can be pro-life and not be pro-after they're born. And that's no better. It goes on, God thinks about you. He can't stop thinking about you. Even when you're asleep, he stays there right with you. How precious are your thoughts about me, God? How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. That's kind of a freaky thing, that while you're asleep, he's just right there with you. And you wake up, it's like, ah! Yeah. 
What are you doing? Right here. Been here all night. Standing like continental soldier by your bed. Standing here just thinking about you. Thinking all these thoughts about you. Who I made. Gosh, all the things as I made you and I knit you and I wove you and had dreams about you and started writing a journal entry about you in this book and all the days ordained for your life. I'm just right here while you're asleep. And I've just been thinking about you. I think about, I think it's Psalm chapter eight where he's like, what is man that you're even mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him, you made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory. And he goes on to say, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Like you're awesome, but then why did you make us awesome too? Crown us with glory and honor. We're so undeserving. Yeah, I mean, and even Jesus said before he left, the glory that my father gave me, I'm gonna give that glory to you so that you can live out that resplendent glory in this world as well. He shares that with us. Not his ultimate glory being the worshiped as a God, but he shares that glory and crowns us with glory and honor. We are the crown of his creation and he thinks about us and dreams about us and writes about us and gives us agency to write this story with him. What? His mind is full of you. He's mindful of you. I was thinking his thoughts about us outnumber the grain of sand on the earth. And I was like, I wonder if anyone knows how many grains of sand there are in the earth. Scientists estimate the earth contains 7.5 sextillion sands of grain. That is 75 followed with 17 zeros. Over 75000000000000000000 plus thoughts about you. I don't care who loves you in this world. They don't think about you that much. <laughs> Maybe 75 times a year if you're a husband. <laughs> Maybe 750 if you're a wife about life. And your kids, they don't think about you a day of your life before age 18. So the people that love us most, just think about us. Man, if you're lucky and you got a friend that thinks about you about three or four times a week, that's like the best friend in the world. Because most of us, it's out of sight, out of mind, not God. You're never out of sight. You're never out of mind. And even when you wake up in the, the morning, I'm still right there with you. The imminence of God. He counts your tears. He counts your hairs. And his thoughts are countless toward you. Goes on, God can handle your apoplectic anger. I just heard apoplectic this week and I had to throw that in there. It's stroke-inducing rage. Vent your fury to God. Don't hold it in and stop venting it to others. Just listen to this after he's like, you think about me all the time. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Now, I wish I didn't relate, but I got, I feel some of this. I'm uncomfortable with, I hate the ones that hate you, these people that are rebellion, things screwing up this world. These people are crazy people. These people are stupid people. If I were you, God, is what he's saying, I'd slay them. 
Thank God God's not like us. Because half of you wouldn't even be here. Because he was patient with you when you were stupid and crazy and sinful and rebellious and heathen. Right up to the moment in humility you recognize you need salvation. Aren't you glad he didn't take you out before he gave you out of his great patience and opportunity to come to know his great grace? Man, it's crazy you can see here, God. If only you, though, right now would do what I would do. Because what I would do is what I want to tell you. And he goes from talking to God. He's like, if you, God, would slay the wicked, away from me, you bloodthirsty. He's paranoid. You're praying, and then you're talking to other people. God's not bloodthirsty. You're just so sick of bloodthirsty men. David said in another place, "You, you trade my glory for my shame. You lie and wait for me. He's like, these people, they misuse your name. They speak of you with evil intent. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who rebel against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. And God's like, interesting. I can handle it. Vent to me. If you haven't read the Psalms yet through, it's, they're called, there's, there's Psalms of Ascent, there's Psalms of Lament, and then there's imprecatory Psalms. Those imprecatory psalms are these rage-filled psalms. Like, why? Why do you sit on your hands? You don't listen to me. It's time for you to act. I want you to break the teeth of the wicked, grind it up into gravel, and make them swallow it. I don't know if it's a nine-inch nail song behind these songs, but it's like, this isn't a harp you're playing these lyrics to. I am just so glad that God's like, bring it on. It doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be true for you to share with God your human emotions. He knows where you're coming from. I I love it because the next verse, well, before we go on, I just thought, take all your fomenting fury and frustrations to God. Your unedited prayers, your raw prayers, your gritty prayers, he can handle them. And I think living in the world in which we live, I can feel this. I, I watch things unravel in our society. It feels like Isaiah 59. Our courts oppose the righteous and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty's been outlawed. We're there and we're going there. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. You speak the truth, you're attacked. You're guilty. What are we going to do in this world? I think the only way to get through this world is you better start learning how to pray imprecatory prayers to God. And you dump them in his lap, and you say, I got this isn't good This isn't true. This isn't right. But this is what I feel, and I don't know who else to talk to about how this world has crushed my heart. And God's like, come to me. Tell me your anger, your apoplectic anger. Pour it out on me. And then it's cool because after that, he says this, God wants to shoulder your anxieties and help you overcome sin. Give him control and let him lead you. 
Search me, God. So he just goes off. I hate those who hate you. I count them as my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm sorry what I just said. I, did. I don't think I meant it, but I think I meant it. I just, I'm, I have anxious thoughts. They make me paranoid and I just, I feel like I'm going crazy, God, but I, I, I do want you to know, I want you to come into my anxiety, God, all those anxious thoughts. You're not afraid of them, God. Just please join me in my anxious thoughts. And if there's any offensive thing I've said, even in this whole prayer, any offensive way inside of me, would you like join me there and lead me out of it into the way everlasting again? Instead of this temporary life, this earthly life, I want an everlasting perspective. A lot of you have angry thoughts and anxious thoughts. It's funny, this is where he ends the psalm and says, God, come into that anxiety with me. Come into that anger with me. And what I want more than anything is not to be led by those emotions. I want to be led in your everlasting way. But until you get this stuff off your chest, until you recognize that he is scary close to you, as close as your next breath with thoughts about you and searching you out and knitting you together and just being what no one else can be for you, that he also wants to know the dark side of who you are because he already knows. You might as well just tell him. I think this is the thing that we do a lot of times. Like if I don't tell him, he won't know. No, that's people. And I think, I don't think people can handle this kind of roller coaster prayer day in and day out from you. I don't think God really is like surprised by this because he already knows the roller coaster. He just wants you to be like, you know that I know that you know that I know. And I don't think people can handle this kind of conversation, but I know God can. Go to him, he wants in. And unlike part of what I felt in my background was I got to clean up before I come to God because he's holy. But I didn't understand in Christ, he's given me access to God to come to him in my time of need for mercy and grace. And when I say come to God in my time of need, there's some times where I need somebody more than a therapist because even with a therapist, I know how to edit my thoughts in order to be perceived a certain way. God's like, bring me the raw footage and the raw sewage of your life. I'm okay. You're not gonna like put a heavy burden on my, night, my life and ruin my day. I can't have a ruined day. And what I'm gonna try to do is hear all of the weight of your life and the weight of your questions of whether you matter, and the weight of the questions, if you ran away, would anybody come looking for me? And I want you to know nothing about your life makes me resist you, recoil from you, hold you at arm's length. I am coming around you. You are special to me, fearfully and wonderfully made. And even the parts of you you're embarrassed of, I already know that. Come to me so I can wrap my arms around you 
take away the offensive things inside of you that are preventing you from living a quality of life and entering into your anxious thoughts and bringing the balm and the calm of my presence to those places. This is just the big hug of God hemming you in behind and before and putting his hand on you of reassurance and sand. You don't got this, but we got this together. I'm just grateful to know and more than that, be known by a God who finds this scary close place very comfortable that can handle my humanity even in his deity and hear his son say, I relate to Jason and I'm here making intercession on his behalf. I know what it's like to be human. Here's what he feels. Here's what he means. Here's what it's like to be human to a God who doesn't know what that feels like. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our go-between, our advocate, who speaks on our behalf and defends us to a holy God. And I'm so thankful for Jesus, who also became a way for Jesus to come close to us in imminence and wrap himself around us. The word made flesh to dwell among us, where that transcendence of God meant the imminence of Christ. And we beheld that glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Wrap us up in your grace and truth today. You know what's in the minds and hearts. You know what people have been doing, where they've been, where they're at, and where they are planning on going. Just join them in that and let them know, I'm right here. I'm right here. Help us to stay honest with you, God. Help us to stay open with you, God. And I think for a lot of people, help us to let you love us, to receive your extravagant, passionate, intimate love for us. That we are all here as most favored sons and daughters of the most high God. And you love us through Christ. So we join you in communion yet afresh in our hearts as we leave today, saying thank you for what you did for us. You've laid down your life for us, and you say in 2 John 3.16, you ought also to lay down your lives for one another. Help us to go out of this place. Not to say, well, you died for me so I didn't have to do it. It's like, no, you died for me to show you, to show us how to do it for others. So help us to go give our lives and show people this God that created them and knit them together in their mother's wombs. We offer ourselves to you. This is our surrender, God, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.